0: e-scooter, micromobility, and the future of transport. This is Wheel Life. Legal Reflections on Vulnerable Road Users. The podcast, where two experienced lawyers, who also happen to be enthusiastic cyclists, chat their way through topics concerning cyclists and other vulnerable road users from a legal and insurance perspective. Hi, I'm Caroline Hall from DAC Beechcroft. I'm Emily Formby from 39 Essex Chambers. And today on Wheel Life, we are talking with Peter Alshorn, also from DAC Beechcroft, about the future of transport, e-scooters and micro-mobility. Hi, Pete.
1: Hi, good afternoon.
0: I'm quite excited to hear what Pete's got
2: to say because it's an area um, that I'm really interested in, but I don't really know an awful lot about. So, Pete, can you tell us a little bit about e-scooters? Because I know there's a lot of trials that are happening at the moment.
1: Yes, yeah, certainly Emily. So um, there's a lot going on in terms of e-scooters. Um, it's very much a development of, of, of the moment of 2020. Um, it's probably worth just, just starting with the dreaded C word, COVID. Um, e-scooters were certainly on the government's agenda in terms of um, new forms of um, transport devices, personal transport devices, uh, to be trialled. Um, but because of the COVID pandemic, We've very much seen this um, brought forwards, and um, the trials that are currently taking place around the country um, have been done on a much wider scale than perhaps they would have been done, um, but for um, the, the the current situation. And that's very much um, because, as we all know, um, there has been um, perhaps uh, people who would have used public transport who are perhaps less inclined to do so at the moment, uh, and the government very much has understood the need to, to to find alternative means, particularly for first and last mile um, transportation.
2: So when you say trials, these are trials where people rent e-scooters from the street, use them and then leave them elsewhere in public. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that's right, Emily. So it's probably worth um, making it very clear um, that these trials are in relation to trials of, of e-scooters through um, specific organisations, companies that are providing them, um, mainly in in urban centres. Um, it's it, it's important to make the point that privately owned e-scooters are still not um, are still not legal um, on Britain's roads at the moment. So these trials are very much, as I said, um, via third party organisations, whereby someone will. They're mainly dockless. People will. Be able to um, use a mobile um, phone application in order to rent one of these, much in the same way as you would do for um, perhaps for a a, a a bike in in London, the the, the um, famously named Boris bikes, and um, and and so that that's the way that the 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 schemes are working at the moment. But as I say, it's important to 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 make the point that they are um, trials, and what. What happens over the course of the next year is likely to determine um, the direction of travel. Pardon the pun that the that the government takes in terms of legalising these and um, more widely, and indeed how they're regulated.
0: Yeah, and uh, the first trial um, started in July in Middlesbrough, uh, my hometown, um, as a Pete will always remind me Um, and uh, it got off to um, a few hiccupy starts with people breaking the rules even with the e-scooters but by the end of September 25,000 miles in journeys had been undertaken in the Tees Valley alone on the uh, scooters and in the first 10 weeks in Milton Keynes, 23,000 miles were undertaken by e-scooter rides so they are being used already quite extensively in the trials.
2: Pete, Caroline and I were talking in an earlier episode about the perhaps unfair um, uh, image of a scooter rider being uh, somebody zipping fast and weaving around the pavement um, uh, between um, startled pedestrians um, and um, jumping on and off the curb, uh, seemingly always dressed in black on a black scooter at night, so quite hard to see. And one of the things that I always find is um, you have... Because somebody's upright on a scooter, your mind perceives them as a pedestrian and then they come towards you very quickly because quite often it's hard to see the scooter. Am I being unfair on e-scooter users? What sort of feedback has there been uh, about not just the miles undertaken, but the the way in which those miles have clocked up?
1: That's an interesting question, Emily. And I think, um, as Caroline's already alluded to, I think it's easy to... Um to paint the picture of um, of, of e-scooter um, riders um, demonizing our pavements and our pedestrianised urban areas. Um, I think you know, it, it's inevitable um, that the media will pick up on, on 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 incidents of when things perhaps don't go as well. And, and I come back to the point I made earlier, which is um, it's it's very important, indeed, the government understands the need to gather data. Um, in 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 many respects, during the course of the next year, in order to 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 understand better how to regulate um, these forms of transportation um, going forwards, you you mentioned Emily about um, the difficulty of, of 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 people being able to to see these things on approach, and I think that's a point really well made. It's certainly something which um, which our firm um, in in the response to um, the relevant call for evidence um, in in. Um, July of this year, we made the point about um, the need for certain regulation around safety standards. So for instance, um, when someone is standing up on an e-scooter as they are, um, they, they, you know, they may not be easy to see, particularly from side on. So we've suggested as well as having daytime or always on running lights um, on these devices, they shouldn't. It, it might sound odd, but they should potentially have lights um, on the handlebars, on the edge of, of each of the handlebars, because it's all about making them um, e- e- easy to be seen, as you say, particularly in, in, uh, in hours of darkness.
0: What do you think about the point, um, either Emily or Pete, in relation to this, that the human brain at the moment, I don't know about you, if I see an e-scooter rider coming towards me, it takes a good couple of seconds for my brain to click in with, well, wait a second, there's somebody coming towards me at quite a high speed standing up. How is a pedestrian doing that? Um, Do we think that's going to have an impact on potential claims in terms of drivers and pedestrians not having a clue what's coming towards them?
1: Yeah, again, Caroline. I think um, I, I think that's absolutely right. I think it's inevitable. Um, and, and interestingly, um, from speaking with um, um, with with an insurer with an interest in um, in, in um, the the current schemes, um, it, it's apparent that actually um, the number of um, of, of incidents um, thus far have, have fortunately been fairly low. Um, but it but it's it, you know it is inevitable that we will see claims. Um, um, uh, new types of claims involving um, e-scooters. Um, pedestrians, is, as, you, as you said, is, is, is one area. Um, we'll also see claims involving e-scooters um, in collisions with bicycles because and electric bicycles because inevitably they will be used on cycleways. Um, and of course, that's something which the government is looking at just at the moment in terms of where should these things actually be Used if they are to be legalised um, in in the long term, and of course, incidents with with vehicles. So um, you know, if if you have a a, a a collision involving an e-scooter rider and a pedestrian, then you know there is a chance the pedestrian will come off worse. But of course, if you have a collision involving an e-scooter um with a motor vehicle then it's it's fairly certain that the e-scooter rider will come off the worst so there's lots of information that still needs to be gathered in relation to how these things are used on 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 the roads and not the pavements i should add
2: Well, I was going to say it would be helpful if we could just clarify what you were saying earlier about where they can and can't be used and how, uh, save for the scooters that are taking part in this present trial, they currently remain illegal for use in England. So how can they be used and where should they be used?
0: Just in terms of the, the trial scooters, you have to be 17 with a provisional driving license to be able to hire one. You can then use it on any road up to a 40 mile an hour speed limit road. They cannot be used on pavements, they must have insurance in place in the background um, and that is provided by the e-scooter provider. You also have to, well it's advised that you wear a cycle helmet but you don't have to you can still be charged with drunk scooting. Um, so you can't uh, use a mobile phone on a scooter or um, use a or drink, but you can. Um, and also, you can't carry a passenger, so it's one person at a time. You can only use it within the defined area. So the the one of the points Pete just made is about the amount of data that these scooters are tracking. Um, they work within geofenced areas. Um, they can only be ridden at 15 up to 15.5 miles per hour. And when they hit certain areas within, um, for example, a pedestrianised area within the trial zone, they have got the technology to be able to reduce the speed down to something like five miles per hour. So pretty much a walking pace um, to make sure that they're not um, a menace to pedestrians around them.
2: I mean, that's very interesting because that is quite a high level of control. Um, I mean, I'm I, I'm just recalling when you were talking about uh, Pete, the 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 risk of accidents and there will inevitably be accidents. It was back in the summer of 2019 when there was the first e-scooter fatality. Um, you may remember um, tragically uh, in uh, in Battersea, um, coming off the roundabout at Queenstown Road, um, a young woman um i mean i i remember because we, we share the same name uh, emily hartridge was killed when she um came mm, off her yeah. e- scooter uh, and was struck by a lorry uh i mean uh, you know reflecting on it the uh that what stands out to me is that it was an accident that while it happened on an e-scooter was akin to any number of of accidents that we have all been involved in um she was found by the coroner to be going too fast with a under inflated wheel and she lost control and and was involved in a collision with a lorry but of course as you say a single person in a lorry there's no doubt who's going to come off worse from from that interaction Uh, but interestingly the underpinning uh, problems were the same old same old so to speak Um, uh, user overconfidence or error or speed or whatever it may be uh, but just being out of control not seeing where you are um, and and your equipment not necessarily being quite tip top so it's interesting to reflect while this is a kind of new area that perhaps what it actually leads to uh, is is the same uh, situations we have seen just sort of packaged so to speak in a different form
1: i i i think i think that's absolutely right um emily i mean at, at the end of the day um drawing it back to its most basic that you know we're, we're talking about um the, the inevitability of of road traffic collisions um and we and, you know and we know um, that there are a finite number of, of, of fundamental causes of road traffic collisions, and I think we're going to see a repeat of the same. I think there can be mitigating factors. So um, you know, whilst there is the level of control that there is currently during the trials, i.e. that it's um, that, that they're through third party organisations where they're rented, um, it's 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 easier um uh, you know there, there, there can still be issues of course, but it's easier to, um, to to have that element of control particularly around maintenance of of, of the the e-scooters that are provided. Um, but you know it, it, as and when these are potentially rolled out more widely into private ownership and use, then of course those issues of maintenance are are, are that much harder to, um, to 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 maintain and enforce.
0: I think this feeds into one of the other consultations, I know you've taken part in in the last few months, Pete, I helped you out with it, which is the Highway Code Consultation with regard to uh, pedestrians, cycling priority, and the hierarchy of road users, uh, and the the changes that that they're looking to um, introduce there. Do you want to say a bit more about the Highway Code Consultation?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, my um, the, the the main um, observations in relation to the Highway Code consultation, which of course starts by looking at um, imposing a hierarchy of road users, um, having having regard to uh, vulnerability. Um, so the the idea being that um, a a pedestrian is the most vulnerable person, and the person driving the very large. Um, a commercial vehicle, the big lorry, um, is 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 the person at the other end of the spectrum who is you know who is who is, is in control of um, a lethal weapon, so to speak, and therefore um, should um, sh- should sh- should be taking the greatest degree of care. Um, I think it's fair to say uh, our view, Caroline, as you know, and we discussed this at length, is that um, the the proposal. Um, to, to, to you know, that amendment to the the highway code, and it is rather rather a large one, is good in principle. Um, But it's very, very important that we don't get to the position where it starts to move towards a a conversation in relation to presumption of liability against motor vehicle users. Um, Our view is that that is a very slippery slope um, each, you know, each we've just talked about motor claims, um, road traffic claims, you know, being caused by different things, um, and it's really important that each case is dealt with on its own merits. Uh, so I think whilst it's very important that more could and should be done, um, so that people driving vehicles or um, uh, are, are aware of the vulnerability of people around them, that that doesn't go any further than that, and I think taking it one step further. Um, there are um certain um, uh, proposed amendments to the drafting of the highway code that i think are um go too far the other way insofar as i think they don't necessarily protect pedestrians because they almost read as if you're a pedestrian don't worry because vehicles will just stop if you step out into into the road i'm I'm sort of exaggerating for effect here, but that's that's essentially where it's going so for instance um, it, almost encouraging um, pedestrians to um, to cross roads adjacent to junctions on the basis that a vehicle should um, stop. Um, it must stop if you've already stepped into the road. We think this is this is dangerous in terms of terminology and could be confusing. Um, the, I don't know if I've answered your question there, Caroline. I can keep going if you like.
0: No, I think it does. I think one of the points that Emily and I discussed in our first introduction podcast was relation to respect for all road users. And I think that was one of the points we made in that whether or not you're in an e-scooter, a pedestrian on a bike or driving a big, huge HGV through the centre of London, um, you've you've got an equal responsibility to each other as a road user. And I think one of the concerns is of the public in relation to e-scooters, just taking it back there for a second, is Mm. that they're treated like toys, and people think they're great to jump on and jump off. But rules of the road don't necessarily apply and i think that's the 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 misconception potentially of the public at the moment and i think that's what will be interesting coming out of the data in the next 12 months as to how safe these things are on the road
2: i think that is an interesting point i mean the the contributory negligence issue and i think we could talk about that for another whole episode on its own Um, but one of the fundamentals of, of of our sort of legal system has always been that you have to look at what people are actually doing what the what the protagonists are actually doing yes and while it's right to say that a car definitely or a motorized vehicle definitely has a a high duty of care that a, that a car with a it, it is often referred to as being akin to a, potentially akin to a weapon um, we've all seen and we've all experienced situations where you watch a cyclist with a certain sort of form of madness tipping their bike on its side so they can squeeze up the inside of a lorry mm. uh, to get near the front of the lights. And um, I don't think any of us that have seen what happens to people when they do go under a lorry would ever do that ourselves. But it's yeah. always struck me as, as just you know one video clip of that action um, would be enough to end any suggestion that it must always be the case at the larger vehicle is to blame or the lorry is to blame um if you know realistically in those circumstances we can immediately envisage a situation where that that um vulnerable user would never have been seen by the uh, larger vehicle prior to the accident but um it's interesting in terms of the e-scooters there is definitely that attitude of them being somehow less serious than other vehicles it's somehow a bit of fun and maybe it's because people scoot when they're children and then there's been a big gap and suddenly you're back on a scooter um, but they don't seem to be treated with the seriousness that I mean they can go fast <laughs> um, and you're balancing I mean that's the other thing has there been much instance of wobbly accidents because sort of two wheels and balancing always strikes me as um, actually rather hazardous
1: yeah, no, I think Emily, that's that's absolutely right. There is a connotation of them being akin to toys, and of course, whilst you know, we've made very clear that that you know, it's it's only these trial scooters that are that that are currently um, allowed to be used on the roads. We know that. That um, the more that are used, the more people are going to be inclined to use their own scooters that perhaps they've purchased um, um, online. Um, you know, and you—it's you, you know—it's scary what people can can purchase online. Um, you know, <laughs> that often coming across from um, from Southeast Asia um, that are really powerful machines, um, and and certainly you know uh, um, not. not um, not not fit to be um, to, to be used in the way that um, that, that perhaps those are, those are designed for on our roads. Coming back to your point about um, people being wobbly, um, yes, that's inevitably a challenge, and I think we're going to see. I mean, what, what, from from speaking to, um, uh, to to people involved in ensuring these things, um, what seems to be the case is that there there are perhaps more first party accidents than anything else. <laughs> and some of those inevitably will be people just wobbling and, and falling off, losing their balance. Um, another issue, of course, is the state of our roads, potholes. We know potholes, for those of us that are cyclists, and I know Caroline's a keen cyclist as am I and um, you know that's an inherent problem of course um, in, in in the UK so you know um, we know by definition that these micro mobility devices as they're known um, have small wheels and of course uh, small wheels and potholes don't 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 go well together so that that's that, that's another challenge.
0: So, thanks for going through eScooters with us, Pete. I know that you're obviously involved in the wider piece in terms of the changing, um, well, the transport revolution that we're anticipating over the next, what, five, ten years. Um, Can you give us any insight into where you may see things going or what you've been involved with to date?
1: Sure. So, um, I've been, um, on behalf of our firm, heavily involved in um, what was very much known as the future of mobility. I think the government's terminology now is the future of transport, um, but you know, but but it, it's it's the same it, it, it's the it's the same issue. And this is very much looking at where um, w- where transportation is heading. And I think there's probably two um, two, two things to mention here. Um, one, of course, is the holy grail of um, autonomous driving, um, and, um, and 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 quite how long it's going to take us to get to the stage where you have your sort of driverless taxis where you know you press a button and, and and along comes a car and opens the door and you get in and it doesn't have a steering wheel you know and and what that what 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 it looks like on the journey to that and it's probably just worth mentioning that um there have been a number of consultations um uh, by the the law commission um who are due to um uh, report to parliament Next year, in relation to um, potential changes to both um, civil and criminal um, laws to enable um, automated driving, um, and the third consultation paper is anticipated any time now, subject, I think, to potential delays because of um, the Brexit situation. But we could see that paper as early as the end of the at the end of this week. Um, one facet that uh, is has been consulted upon um, very recently um, is known as ALCS or ALCS, and that's to do with automated lane keeping systems. And the reason I mention this specifically is that um, it is proposed that this may be the first, um, the first iteration, if you like, of an automated vehicle. Um, You will recall that um, for a couple of years now, we've had some primary legislation in this space, the Automated Electric Vehicles Act of 2018, that set about or put in place an insurance framework for vehicles that will ultimately be categorised as automated. Now, that's important because they will need um, a a, a particular type of insurance policy, um, because for some of the time, a human will be driving, but for another part, part of the time, the vehicle will be driving. Of course, that brings into play very much the issue of products liability, um, which 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 can which can potentially complicate matters. So we've not had um, to date an, an example of an, an automated vehicle, but the government's proposal is that automated lane keeping assistance vehicles, which will be vehicles that are capable, essentially, of maintaining themselves at a particular up to a particular speed. In a motorway lane um, to allow a driver to, if you like, step out of the loop um, for a for a period of time. Um, we have. I, I should add some real reservations, um, as do um, many of our clients, in relation to um, in relation to potentially allowing these vehicles to be categorised as, 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 as automated and that is primarily because whilst at one point in time the regulation and the, and, and the, and the, and the legislation was lagging behind the technolo- technological development we've now i believe reached a point whereby as sophisticated as some of these systems are um, they are still not infallible and this is to do with the sensor technology um, that, that's at play. So, just to give you uh, just a, a stark example of what might um, come to pass, we may have a vehicle that is um, categorized as, as automated, which will allow a driver to come out of the loop, but um, it's not capable because of the um, because of the existing. Um, level of the technology in actually if it comes to if it reaches its system limitations it's not capable of taking itself out of the live lane of traffic so what we could see are vehicles just coming to a stop on on UK motorways um, because the system's reached its limitations it's not able to take itself onto the hard shoulder we think that is fundamentally unsafe
2: I think that does sound quite unsafe (laughs) so when 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 is this Alx due to roll out Will be trialed?
1: So, uh, to a certain extent, um, tri- trials have already have, have already been taking place in, in in relation to these technologies as part of the as of the ongoing trials of, of um, leading to to automated vehicles. Um, w- what we're suggesting is that those trials should be um, sh- should be ongoing for some considerable time here on in, and whilst. We're saying, Emily, that 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 these Alk's vehicles should be capable of being, um, you know, this technology should be capable of being deployed. We're saying you shouldn't go as far as saying that um, that it, it it constitutes an automated vehicle, and therefore the driver must stay in the loop. And this all comes down to driver distractions, because we know if a driver is allowed to come out of the loop and becomes distracted, we know and, and, and there have been many, many, um, um, lots of research on this, that different human beings will take different periods of time to eat to re-engage and come back into the loop. And when you're in a live lane of motorway traffic, that's not great. But to answer your question, Emily, um, the, the the government at the moment is is considering the the responses to the call for evidence and as i say our firm has has responded to that along the lines that i've just described
0: yeah
1: um but but if, if the government does decide to proceed with um outs and the categorisation of als as an automated vehicle that could happen as soon as sort of um spring next year
2: well, that's absolutely fascinating and a, a really interesting insight into what we can look forward to next. And, and perhaps, Pete, you could come back and talk to us again uh, about the progress of Elks as it
1: unfolds next year. I'd be very happy to do that, Emily. Yes, of course.
0: Well I think that ties up things for the time being. Um, but I do think another podcast on uh, e-scooters and, uh, as you say, Elks next year, as the trials continue to progress, would probably be quite a good idea.
2: Yeah, it'd be absolutely fascinating to see how these things unfold. So either we'll have a vast swathe of uh, uh, people lying on the pavements as they've fallen off their e-scooters and a nose to tail of cars that have come to a a halt in the motorway, um, or we'll have something that looks uh, rather more hopeful for the future. I wonder which it'll be. Perhaps uh, we can get get Pete back and, and find out in the future. Thanks very much indeed for coming to talk to us today.
1: Thanks for having me.
2: Thanks, Emily, for another another podcast. I'll speak to you next time. Thanks very much, Caroline. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks for listening. Wheel Life is brought to you by international law firm DAC Beechcroft and Barrister's Chambers, 39 Essex Chambers. Discover more articles, podcasts and webinars over at DACBeechcroft.com and 39Essex.com.